Well, today we come to the end of the series of sermons we've been doing out of the book of Philippians. And I hope as we've gone through this that maybe you've had a sense of renewed joy. You know, we've really been talking about the the primary message of Paul's letter to the Philippians is one of joy. And it talks about rejoicing in the Lord. And we've been looking at things we could rejoice over. We talked the first week about rejoicing in the fact that we're so loved by Christ. We're loved with him, with this immense love that Charlie talked about a little bit earlier. It's just too big for us to even understand and how we can remember how much he loves us and rejoice in that love. And maybe we need to rekindle our love for him. Then the second week, we talked about rejoicing in God's providence, that he is in control, that he is sovereign, that he works all things together for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. We can rejoice in that. And then last week, we talked about rejoicing in the work of Christ, that passage that Charlie read uh, just a little bit ago, uh, being reminded of, of what Christ did for us, how he endured the cross and bore the shame and all that he did for us so that he could procure salvation for us. We can rejoice in that. And today we're going to talk about we have we can also rejoice in the peace of God. Listen, we all want to experience peace. But let's be perfectly honest. We don't always have his peace. At least I don't. I mean, there are times that, you know, and I ought to know better. I'm a preacher. I've been preaching for a long time. Well, you know what? There are just times in your life when you lose that sense of peace. And so what we're going to be looking at today is how do we get to that peace? What does that peace look like? We're living in these troubled times where people are overcome with fear and anxiety. Somebody sent me an article this week that said 24% of the population are facing signs of clinical depression. 30% of the population facing some kind of generalized anxiety. That's a lot. And probably all of us here have felt some of that. And so the question is, how do we get to peace? How can we find God's peace? Well, that's what our passage is about this morning from Philippians chapter 2. So I invite you to open your Bibles with me. We'll begin in the second verse and read down through verse 9. This is God's word. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Then this very familiar passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? And this morning, Lord, I pray that you take these words of mine from the scriptures. And I pray, O Holy Spirit, that you illuminate hearts to grasp the wonderful truths that are here and bring us to your peace. For we pray this in the name of the Prince of Peace, our Savior Jesus. Amen. 
Now, obviously, there was a problem that was going on in the church there at Philippi, and that problem had something to do with a conflict between two women who were in the church. Now, we're not sure what the conflict was. Paul doesn't tell us about it here. But we know that it had progressed enough that it had become a problem. Uh, the witness of the church, the effectiveness of the witness of the church, and the unity of church was really at stake here. And so that's why you read these words, I plead with. Paul is, is pleading with us. It was a problem that need to be dealt with. And, and I want you to notice these women. These women were had been involved in a very meaningful way in, in Paul's ministry. He, he said that they had contended with him, alongside of him, in the cause of the gospel. They had been a part of his ministry, and, and he cared tremendously about these people. He was grieved over the situation, and he knew that the conflict needed to be re- resolved. These were godly women, and so he pleads with them. And you know, it brings the point here. Here's, the, here's the, here just the fact, is that we will all face conflict, even with godly people. I mean, we know it in marriages, right? You don't have to be married very long before, and you love each other and two Christians together. But look, conflict's inevitable. It happens. And it happens because we have to realize that we are fallen people. We have to understand that, that we're prone to our own selfishness. We're prone to being pride. And we will disappoint and maybe even hurt each other. So conflict is inevitable. But we also have to realize that conflict among believers can hinder the witness of the church and the effectiveness of ministry. That's why Paul wrote this. He even put their names here because it was that serious of an issue. It needed to be resolved. And you know as well as I do that sometimes it is very painful to have to deal with conflict, but we can't run from it. You see, conflict, and by the way, sometimes it may take a third party, somebody from the outside. That was the case here where Paul spoke to one of the other members in the church, loyal yoke fellow, help these women. He invited somebody to come in and step in and help with the conflict as well. Sometimes we have to do that. You see, the issue with conflict, conflict in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's a refining opportunity, but it's how we deal with it. And when we begin to approach conflict with humility with grace, speaking the truth in love, there's good reason to believe that conflict can be resolved. But on the other hand, if we are defensive and argumentative and closed-minded and unwilling, and I've seen that, it's almost impossible to ever resolve conflict when people take that kind of attitude about it. But notice what Paul does with this. He, he points them to Christ. He calls these women, he pleaded with this woman, these women to agree with each other in the Lord. He knew that the ultimate solution to this whole thing was found with, with Christ. Christ was the answer. Christ was the one who could ultimately break down walls. And if you remember back in Ephesians, Paul is talking there about this terrible conflict that existed between the Jews and the Gentile. For all of those years, there was this hostility. There were barriers. They couldn't stand each other. But then he says, when the gospel came to bear, Christ came to bear on it, 
It says, he, Christ, is our peace. And look, he made two into one and has destroyed the barrier. Christ is the one who destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So ultimately, that answer is Christ. And so as we go into dealing with conflict, we have to remember that we have to have the attitude of Christ. And last week we saw that. If you remember in particular, we talked about, and again, Charlie read it a few minutes ago, we talked about the extent of Christ's humility. In fact, theologians, I told you, call it his humiliation. The extent of it. Even though he was by nature God, he didn't regard equality with God something to be grasped. He emptied himself. He made himself nothing. Took on the form of a bond slave. And being made in the likeness of men, he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, that's what Jesus did for us. And therefore, he calls us to have that same attitude. And when we have that attitude, we're able to do what we read here in Ephesians. Be completely humble. Isn't that interesting? Look at the words here. Be completely humble. And gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity in the bond of peace. Completely humble. See, if we're going to deal with it in the right way, it takes humility. I'm not saying you avoid. You speak the truth in love. But you do it with humility and gentleness. And we're patient and we bear with one another. Preserving the unity of the bond of peace. And on down in that chapter, it says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice and be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God has forgiven us as well. He calls us to be Christ-like. You know, to be completely humble in our dealings. And it was this conflict that set up the rest of the passage. In which Paul says, rejoice, it comes in the context of that, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. How then do we get to that place That path to peace. How do we get to that path of peace? And it's interesting. We take that passage now. We begin to work through it. The very first thing we're told, it has to do with rejoicing in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, to rejoice in the Lord involves experiencing that deep inward Quality of joy. That's what he's talking about. You can't rejoice if you don't have joy in your own heart. Rejoicing is simply the act of expressing our joy. And so what is this joy that we're talking about? We're not talking about happiness here. Happiness is always dependent on circumstances, right? If the circumstances are right and you make me happy, you do what I want you to do. See, circumstance. Joy is extremely different. Joy is talking about that Deep contentment that's in the Lord that's based on trust in our sovereign and loving Lord. Let me say that again. Joy is that deep contentment. See, it has to do with contentment. 
A deep contentment, a contentment where? Not in my circumstances, but a deep contentment in the Lord that's based on trust. We have to get to that place. He is holding me fast. I have to get to that place where I believe that, I trust that, and I trust in his sovereignty that he's in control, and I trust in his love. And when we get to that point, we can begin to really experience, we can experience the joy of the Lord. Look, when we begin to focus on the Lord, we lift our eyes and we begin to rejoice in the Lord. We lift our eyes off the circumstances and we begin to see him for who he is. One of the best illustrations that I've got of this is the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. Do you remember? He's one of the minor prophets. So Habakkuk has been, he's been looking and he sees Israel and he is deeply concerned about their spiritual condition. There was evil in the land. It just seemed like it was lawlessness. Everything sounds like our day, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the, the environment, the spiritual environment that was there. And so Habakkuk had been praying and he was praying and praying and it seemed like God wouldn't answer him. So in frustration, he says, God, why won't you answer me? And God came back to him and said, okay, I'm going to answer you, Habakkuk. I'm going to send the Chaldeans. I'm going to send the Babylonians. And let me tell you, they are fierce people. They leave absolute destruction behind them. How'd you like to get that answer? Well, he didn't like it either. And he struggled with it. I mean, basically what God was saying, the Chaldeans were coming as an agent of justice, of judgment upon the people. And Habakkuk had to work through that. And so you read the little book, it's a very short little book, but you read through that book, only three chapters. But you read through that and you come to the end of it where Habakkuk sees the reality of the circumstances. They were bad. They were going to be difficult. He saw that, but he was able to work through that. And this is what he says at the end of the book. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, Though there be no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall. It was bad. But then look at what he says. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. You see, you see what I'm saying? Even in the midst of whatever the difficulties are, the troubles are, when we begin to rejoice in the Lord, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in, in God myself. He wasn't joyful over what was happening. He wasn't joyful in what was coming. He knew it was going to be difficult. And yet he could turn and he could say, but you know what? I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I find joy in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. And he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. So what was it that he found? He found joy where? In his Savior. He knew that the Lord was his strength. Now, how did he get to this point? I'll tell you how he got to this point. You have to read the book. But as he worked through it, he began to come and reflect upon the nature and character of God. He entered into the presence of God. And let me tell you, it's very clear. You want joy in your life. It comes when we enter into God's presence and we rest in him. When we spend time in meditation, look at this. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. See it? So often we don't have joy. You know why? Because we're not going in the presence of the Lord. 
We're not spending time in meditation. We're not spending time in prayer. There's another verse. Surely you have granted him eternal blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. Habakkuk walked into the presence of the Lord. He began to focus on God. He began to rejoice in God. And all of a sudden, his whole attitude changed. You see, that's the key. We can't create this kind of joy. It's a kind of joy that we can experience even in spite of our difficulties and circumstances. And this joy is so important that Paul says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord, and I'll say it again. Rejoice. So that's the very first step. Whatever it is that we're dealing with, we've got to start. Get our eyes on him. Rejoice in him. Find our joy in him. We're moving along the path, so it starts there. Where does it go next? The kind of spirit that we have. The kind of spirit that we have. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. The kind of spirit we have. Now, this particular word gentleness, some of your other versions may have forbearing, some may be reasonable, because there's not one single word in English that reflects the meaning of that word in the Greek. But it carries this idea. You have to have a combination of these thoughts. Forbearance. Kindness. Gentleness. Reasonableness. Generosity. It's all of those words wrapped up into one here. Forbearance. Kindness. Gentleness. Reasonableness. Generosity. And what is Paul telling us? He's telling us that we have to be reasonable when we face conflict and difficulties. We have to be gentle and forbearing and kind and generous in the way that we deal with other people. And so many conflicts never get resolved because we fail to do this. We fail to be gentle and humble and reasonable as we face difficulties. And then Paul adds this statement, the Lord is near. Now, obviously, we know Jesus is coming again, right? We know that. I don't think he just meant that. I think he also meant this. The Lord is near to me right now. I have his presence with me right now. Because I'm going to tell you something, at least true for me, probably true for you. There is no way in my own strength that I'm going to be reasonable and gentle and kind and forbearing When it comes to conflict or anything, I'm not going to do it naturally. But I'll tell you this, the Lord is near. See, here's the whole point. You've got to get this. You can't force yourself into these things without drawing off the strength that's available to you. And the strength that's available to you is the Lord. He gives you that ability. He enables you to do this. And so let your gentleness be known to all because the Lord is near. He, he will enable us to be forbearing and reasonable and gentle. All right, so here we go. The path of peace begins when we rejoice in the Lord. It requires having a reasonable and gentle spirit. And then we turn to the Lord in prayer. Do not be anxious about anything. Wow. I don't know about you. That convicts me. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. You see, prayer is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us. 
It's amazing how much anxiety we bring on ourselves because of our lack of prayer. See, prayer shows us our dependence on God. It shows us that the things we can't do, he can do. Remember, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It shows us our utter dependence on God. And in fact, what prayer does is it brings us up to God's level. It brings us into his presence and will and understanding his protection that we have. I think of David, you know, the 27th Psalm, he's facing all kind of difficulties, troubles, enemy. I mean, it's, it's a very, very difficult thing. And he comes to this in verses four and five says one thing. Very, you know this one thing I've asked of the Lord that I may seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And then he goes on to say, for in the day of trouble, see, prayer, David's in prayer. David is there in prayer. And he says, for in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle, in the secret place of his tent. He will hide me and he will lift me up on a rock. That's what I'm talking about. It's in prayer that we're brought in. We're brought up into God. And we begin to see him. I think of Fanny Crosby. You remember that great old hymn, I am thine, O Lord. And she writes this line, Oh, the pure delight of a single hour that before thy throne I spend. When I kneel in prayer and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. See what I'm saying? When we get into prayer, we're brought up into this incredible peace. It's as though we commune with God as friend with friend. And it's prayer that also enables us to see the bigger picture. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago because we know that God does have a plan. We know that God has a purpose and that he is working everything in conformity with that purpose. That's what he's promised us. And it's then that we can come to him in prayer. He invites us to come, casting all of our anxiety upon him because he cares for us. Coming with confidence before his throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So how do we get to the path of peace? Rejoice in the Lord. Be reasonable and gentle in spirit. Turn to the Lord in prayer. And then this great promise and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. You see, the peace of God is something that we experience inwardly. It is that sweet peace that originates in God, because God is called the God of peace. It's when we come into him and we begin to know that he does hold me fast. That we know that he will conceal me in his presence. That he will lift me up on a rock. It's that great sense that he is with me. And that his peace can come to me. You see, when we begin to focus on all of our circumstances and get overwhelmed with them, the only way we'll ever get peace is to turn back to him and go to the God of peace. And it's then that we can experience his peace.
And you know the peace of God, there's really the Old Testament concept of peace. That You know the word shalom, that word that's peace in the Old Testament. Well, that shalom, it carries over into the idea of the New Testament as well. And the idea of shalom is, is more than just an absence of conflict. It has to do with, with flourishing. Even in the midst of difficulty. I mean, that's what Habakkuk did, right? In the midst of difficulties, he flourished. He said, he's going to make my feet like the feet of a deer. I'm going to be able to run up on the high places. 55th chapter of Isaiah. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. That's what we're talking about. That kind of of flourishing, that deep sense of inward peace that can only come from our God. And we're told that this peace is so powerful that it transcends understanding. I've seen people who've gone through Terrible, terrible tragedy and suffering. And yet you could even see it in their faces that they had a peace. You see, you can't understand that. You cannot understand that. It goes beyond understanding. It's something that we can't fully explain. And we're told that it's God's peace that will guard our hearts and our minds. I picture that, you know, here's a, here's a, Detachment of soldiers who are responsible to guard the city, to protect the city. And that's the word there. Now, I almost picture God, you know, putting his hand around our hearts and our minds to protect us. He will hold me fast. See it? That's it. Well, here's the key. You see, the bottom line of this all is that that peace, it's a peace that transcends understanding, that will guard our hearts and minds, the last phrase, in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something. You can never have peace apart from having a relationship with the Prince of Peace. Impossible. You see, it's Jesus who came to us, and he made this promise to us. He said, peace, I'll leave with you. My peace, I give you. See, it's not like the world gives it. It's a different kind of peace. It's not just an absence of conflict. It's this deep inward sense of well-being that I'm okay because God is guarding my heart and my mind. He is holding me. And therefore, Jesus says, You don't have to let your hearts be troubled. You don't have to be afraid. Because I give you my peace. Well, listen, I wish I could stand up here and say, always had this. But I don't. But I will tell you in those sweet times when you get it. And you experience that peace. There can be no greater heights of love that you can experience than when you find the peace of Christ. And so my prayer this morning as we come to a close here is that we would know his peace. We're going to end with a very beautiful hymn. 
and it was written by Horatio Spafford, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. What? What is what did he taught us to say? It is well. It is well with my soul. That is the peace we're talking about. Let's pray here. I pray now, Father, that you enable us this day. If, we're in, if, we, if we don't have your peace, Lord, put us on the path. We rejoice in you. Enable us to have that gentle, forbearing, reasonable spirit. And we bring to you all of our prayers and petitions. We cast our anxiety, our burdens on you. And Lord, we pray for your peace this morning. The peace of Christ. For we make this prayer in his name. Amen.